Good to be up here. Um, let me just read the first part again, and then we're going to get right into it. So um, I don't think it's up there, but I'm just going to read it. My son, do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart so you will find favor and good success in the sight of man. All right, so we're five Sundays into this sermon series on Proverbs. And I think most of us knew even before um, the series that Proverbs is about wisdom. All the Proverbs have not only good advice, but they have life principles, right? And that's why the title of this series is Words to Live By. You can see that behind me. <clears throat> Proverbs 3 is indeed another um, proverb of words to live by. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. This proverb is filled with something called exhortations. Oh. Okay, while she, while she gets that going, there we go. So exhortations. To exhort means, in the dictionary it says, to urgently advise or urge or caution or warn. And so an exhortation means an urgent piece of advice or a warning. These are things that Solomon observed throughout his life and learned for himself. But we also know that Solomon was given the gift of wisdom, right, when he prayed to God for it. We can read about that in 1 Kings 3. And in that chapter, after Solomon prays this prayer, God answers and he promises Solomon not only the wisdom that he's asked for, but he also promises riches and a long life if he will obey God's commands. And so we're going to jump right in. I just mentioned that Proverbs 3 is filled with exhortations, and the first exhortation he makes is this, do not forget my teaching. Solomon is encouraging the reader or the listener, or rather pleading with them, to listen to what he has to say and to not forget. In the book of James, chapter 1, verses 23 and 24, James says, For anyone who hears the word and does not carry it out is like a man who looks at his face in the mirror and after observing himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So, so, so also Solomon is urging the reader or the listener, don't walk away and forget. This is important. Don't just agree. Many times um, we agree with a sermon or we agree with what the Bible says, but living it out is more than agreeing, right? It's believing. If you believe something to be true... <clears throat> If you believe something to be true, then you will live it out. You will live like you really do believe it. For example, I believe that COVID is dangerous and that it can hurt me. I've never personally seen it through a microscope, um, but I've seen the effects of it in other people. And since I believe that it can damage my body, I wear this mask, which is supposed to protect me, right? Right? Um, my belief affects how I live. 
Well, maybe the laws and the restrictions of, uh, make nudge me a little bit to wear this mask as well. But you know what I'm saying. So verse 2 says, Let your heart keep my commands. For length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. That same chapter in James, James chapter 1, also says in verse 25, But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and continues to do so, not being a forgetful hearer, but an effective doer, he will be blessed in what he does. And that's exactly what Solomon is talking about here. There's a blessing for those who listen to, believe, and follow wisdom. In general, Proverbs teaches us that those who follow wisdom will have an easier and less problematic life. That doesn't mean we won't have any difficulty. It just means that there will be less difficulty if we live wisely, right? Time after time, through the Proverbs, we have seen that those who live unwisely or foolishly experience more difficulty, more heartache, more trouble. And I think we've all experienced um, being punished by our parents when we've done something wrong, right? A lot of us have probably seen friends or family members make bad choices and then face consequences because of those bad choices. So being wise, being prudent, um, making good choices, and then having uh, affects how we live, right? Um, it turns around and and will cause less problems, less difficulty in our lives if we're wise, if we're making good choices. That's an easy thing for us to understand. It's not always an easy thing to do, but it's an easy thing for us to understand. Ultimately, Proverbs is talking about pursuing wisdom. And where does wisdom come from? Well, where did Solomon get it from? From God, right? And having wisdom that comes from the Lord is not just conventional wisdom. It is a wisdom that covers all aspects of life, from spiritual to physical. And I think Pastor James mentioned this already in his introduction to the series in June. This wisdom literature that we have before us called Proverbs is meant to help guide us through life, as is the entire book that we call the Bible. Proverbs is meant to help us grow in wisdom and to, and to help us understand our need to seek it out so that we can be wise in all areas of life. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. You will have a better life if you do these things. That's what Solomon is saying here in verses 1 and 2. Okay, so I also want to talk about the structure of this Proverbs. This is a familiar structure found throughout the book of Proverbs. And there's a pattern here of exhortation, like we just talked about, or command, and then reward. And that's what we see here in the first four verses of Proverbs 3. My son, do not forget my teaching. This is the exhortation. But let your heart keep my commandments. And then we see the reward for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. Listen to my teaching and what? You will live a longer life filled with peace. 
And that's exactly what we see God promised to Solomon in 1 Kings 3. 1 Kings 3, 14 says, this is God speaking, and if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I will give you a long life. If the wisdom of Solomon came to him from God as a gift, and if in fact all wisdom comes from God, then these Proverbs are from God Himself, right? And I think those of us who call ourselves believers would agree that the whole Bible is the Word of God. The whole Bible comes from Him, but it's also this strange mixture of the Word of God and the human beings who wrote them. Um, It's God's Word, truth, and wisdom coming through the authors of these books. Solomon is writing these Proverbs, this wisdom literature intended for his descendants and the young men of Israel. But if it is actually wisdom and truth from God for his people, then it's not only coming from the experiences of Solomon, but it's coming from God himself. Whoops. Do not forget my teaching, but let your heart keep my commandments for length of days and years of life and peace they will add to you. And then he says... Let not steadfast love and faithfulness forsake you. The NIV puts it like this. It says, let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. So this is the second exhortation from Solomon here in Proverbs 3. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Steadfast love or unwavering love and faithfulness are basic covenant terms in Israel. These are things that God expected from Israel. And faithfulness or love and love are actually things that God expects from us as well. You may have heard the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, right? And love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and strength. Um, and faithfulness is an obvious one here. To be faithful means to be reliable to be trustworthy, and to be loyal. A couple of quick verses on faithfulness. James 1.12 says, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial, because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. And then Psalm 37 says, this is verses 28 and 29, For the Lord loves the just and will not forsake his faithful ones. Solomon says to bind these around your neck and write them on the tablet of your heart. And it's true that good Jews did practice doing this. They they literally tied the law to their forearms and to their forehead. Um, But to be honest with you, I don't know if that's actually what God's intention was. And especially here in Proverbs, since this, this is Hebrew poetry, which uses a lot of imagery and metaphor for emphasis... Um, The point I believe that Solomon is making is that he wants the hearer or the student to know his teachings so well that they become part of his or her nature. And since this wisdom comes from God, as do all good things, Solomon is actually asking his hearer to be subject to the Lord and not to him, the teacher. He's not saying these things as the king commanding his subjects. 
Remember, he's been given this gift as wisdom from God. <clears throat> and I think what Solomon is communicating here is what God's Word is communicating. Um, he commanded binding, sorry, God commanded binding his law to forehead and forearms in Deuteronomy 6.8, but he wanted his Word to become so much a part of his people that it flowed out of their hearts. And so I think tying little boxes to body parts actually misses the point. That's not the end goal. God wants it to become such a part of his people that it flows out of them. And that's exactly what Solomon is getting at here. Um, let love and faithfulness become a part of who you are. Know it so well that it flows out of your hearts. So why love and faithfulness? Why strive for these virtues? He says in verse 4, so that you will find favor and good success in the sight of God and man. This makes sense to us, right? If you treat others well, you should expect to be treated well in return. But we know that we live in a world where people do not know God or His ways, and there's a lot of evil out there. Unfortunately, this is not a promise, but a general principle. If you treat other well, others well, if you are faithful and loving, most of the time, people will be pleased with you. Um, but guess what? Some people may not be pleased with you, even if you treat them well. Um, the good news is God will always be pleased with you because that's how he wants us to live. <clears throat> um, this is how he desires us to live. He created us to be faithful and trustworthy and to love with a steadfast love. 2 Corinthians 2.16 says, For we are to God the sweet aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To the one we are an odor of death and demise, to the other, a fragrance that brings life. Some people are going to see Christ in you and actually hate you for it because they love sin and they love wickedness. I've experienced that. It's not fun. This last Christmas season, I had the pleasure of preaching, um, and in that sermon, I talked about what it means to be someone who pleases God. We please Him by living the way He created us to live. And even though the world may not understand, we can always take comfort in the fact that we are a sweet aroma to Him if we are living in Him and through Him and the way that He created us to live. Okay, so we're in verse 5 now, and he's continuing his pattern of exhortation and reward. And it says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. We're very familiar with this passage. And do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and what? He will make your path straight. So our third exhortation from Proverbs 3 is trust in the Lord with all your heart. I want to hone in here on verse 5 and take some extra time to talk about this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. What does it mean to trust in the Lord with all your heart. You've likely heard the passage in Mark 12, and, and I just mentioned it, love the Lord your God with all your heart. So is trusting the Lord and loving the Lord the same thing? 
Well, no, not really. But I don't think we can actually love God if we don't trust Him. Because if we don't trust Him, then we don't really believe what He says is true. And we most likely don't believe He is good either. Trusting in the Lord is believing the Lord. And if you believe in Him, then you actually believe that His ways and who He is is good, and, and that the way that he wants us to live is the right way to live. David actually challenged Solomon in a similar way in First Chronicles, and we can read in chapter 28, verse 9, it says, And you, my son Solomon, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind, for the Lord searches every heart and understands every desire and every thought. If you seek him, he will be found by you. Serve him with wholehearted devotion and a willing mind. How can you do that if you don't trust the Lord? You can't, right? It's interesting to see how Solomon is taking some of the teachings he's learned from his father, David, and is now turning around and teaching his family and his descendants because that's who these Proverbs were originally intended for. Okay, what does the next part of the verse say? Lean not on your own understanding. What does that mean? Does it mean we don't ask questions? We just trust? I think most of us here and online understand that human insight can only get us so far. The smartest person in this room, in this country, in this world, doesn't even come close to the mind of God, right? And so God's ways are not, always, not comparable even to our ways. Um, we've heard that talked about before. God's ways are higher than our ways. That actually comes from the Bible. It comes from Isaiah. But I think sometimes we can become frustrated or even angry when someone tries to use that verse to comfort us because we expect things to work a certain way um, based on our experiences or based on the way we see the world works. God, however, does not conform to the ways of the world. He created the world, but the sinful ways of the world are man's choosing and do not reflect who God is. So doesn't it make sense that the creator of the universe, this all-knowing, all-powerful God, would be a little bit hard to understand at, at times? That the way that he does things and the choices he makes would, would sometimes confuse us? There's another quality of God that I didn't mention, omnibenevolence. It means supremely good. He is good, and trusting that He is good allows us to trust His ways and His motives. It is specifically stated in His Word that He is good. Psalm 86.5 says, For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive, and abundant in loving kindness to all who call upon you. First, uh, sorry, James 1.17 says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So it is specifically stated in the Bible that he is good, but it is also proven and shown throughout the Bible. We read of the interactions of God with man in the Bible, don't we? How he takes care of Adam and Eve even after they sin how he builds Joseph up after his brothers throw him away. 
and how he provides for Israel again and again, even though they continue to turn their backs on him. And then he sends Jesus the Messiah to rescue all of us from slavery to sin. I assume also if you're a follower of Jesus um, that you've experienced his goodness too. God being good does not mean that if you are a follower of him, you will never have bad times or hardship, right? It does not mean that you will receive everything you want. But it does mean that he wants the best for you. And maybe experiencing illness or going through a hard time is actually something that we need, as hard as that is to accept. Maybe, be, maybe difficulty is something necessary to solidify something in our lives. Maybe it's something that other people need to see. They need to see us going through difficulty and how we react to them to have their minds changed as well. For example, let me give you an example. My wife has been sick for three and a half years. She has struggled with something called adrenal fatigue, and it hasn't been easy for both of us. Some days she's barely gotten out of bed, and the doctors have dismissed it as depression. We've been frustrated and we've been discouraged. We've felt hopeless at times. We've been confused and angry. Um, we, we've just felt hopeless. Why would this happen? You know, we were, we were just about to start trying to have children, and then this happened. We still don't know why, but we've seen some good things come out of it. My wife lives a much healthier lifestyle, and she has developed some good habits that will be there for the rest of her life. Um, we've prayed together a lot more. We've talked a lot more about who God is and why he allows pain and suffering in the world. And even though it has not been easy, we've both come to the conclusion that he is good and that he has his own timeline. And scripture has confirmed that for us. I'll give you an example. Lamentations 3, 25 and 26 says, The Lord is good to those whose hope is in him. To the one who seeks him, it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And then Ecclesiastes 3.1 says, There's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. And then finally, 2 Peter 3, verse 8, But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. We're so used to instantly getting what we want in, in, this, in these days, aren't we? In our smartphone-filled, smartphone automated world, we can tap a few taps and get food delivered to our door right away. We can, if I'm curious about something, I can Google it and find an answer right away. Um, if I want to ask a friend a question, I can message them and get an answer from them right away. Well, some people don't answer right away. But God's ways are typically slower than our ways, right? And <clears throat> His ways are more gradual 
than the ways of our modern world. And that's not always easy to accept. Sometimes he chooses to answer our prayers immediately, and sometimes he chooses to wait. Back to my wife. She is getting better. It hasn't been as fast a recovery as we both hoped, um, but we've seen through other events and other experiences in our lives that God's timing is perfect, and we've learned to trust that. We've learned to trust Him and not to lean on our own understanding. Because like I said before, we still do not understand exactly why this has happened. We may learn why in this life, and we may not, and that's okay. Because we've both learned that God is good, and that's not going to change no matter what happens to us. I believe that He is good, and I believe that He loves us. The Bible tells us that, and I have experienced that. So if you've grown up in the church, you may have heard this verse and been taught or understood that lean not on your own understanding means you're not supposed to question God. But that's not true. Uh, we've heard you're supposed to just accept what you hear and not wrestle with it, right? But the Christian faith is not, is not brain dead. We're actually supposed to think through things. We're supposed to actually work through things and question sometimes. My wife told me a story once when she was a young Christian that she was attending a Bible study and she didn't understand why God seemed so violent and angry in the Old Testament. So she asked um, the pastor's wife who was leading the Bible study, why is God so violent and angry in the Old Testament? And the pastor's wife scolded her, how dare you question God, the God of the universe? He can do whatever he wants. But verse 5 does not mean that we can't question. We need to ask questions. We need to look for answers. Um, we need to wrestle through these things, right? Because the difficult questions help us dive deeper into our knowledge of God and our understanding of God. We need to ask these hard questions. We need to pursue answers as far as we can. But ultimately, there are some things on earth anyway that we're not going to be able to fully understand. God has revealed himself to us, but there's still some mystery. He is infinite and we are not. Um, we have finite, which is the opposite of infinite, finite minds. And finite minds like ours will only be able to understand so much, right? That's not an excuse to be lazy, like I said. We still need to go deeper with him. We still need to ask these questions. Don't let that be an excuse not to find answers. But we're not going to be able to fully understand certain things about God. Romans eleven thirty three through 36 says, Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Who has ever given to God that God should repay them? For from him and through him and for him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. Again, we need to pursue answers as far as we can, but sometimes 
we're going to pursue an answer to a question or try to understand a particular thing about God, and we're not going to be able to fully understand it. Sometimes we have questions about God that we can't get answers to right away. Sometimes it takes time. Sometimes we need to experience something for ourselves to be able to understand it. And there are some things that we may never know in this life. For example, I don't fully understand the Trinity. I have, I believe that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, three persons but one God. I accept and believe that that's what the Word of God teaches. I have studied it, I have prayed about it, but I don't fully understand it. And that's okay. It's a mystery. But a mystery that I believe will one day be revealed when we see God face to face. So again, lean not on your own understanding does not mean that you have a shallow faith that doesn't ask questions. It doesn't mean that you don't try to find answers to these questions. It just means there's going to be some mystery to God, and that's okay. He's the God of the universe. Of course, there's going to be some things that we don't fully understand. Now, I want to explain another way to look at this verse that will further help us understand what lean not on your own understanding means. We all know specific commands that the Bible teaches. The Ten Commandments are obvious, um, and the New Testament is full of commands as well. Jesus says in John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commands. There are also a different type of command, less obvious ones. If you have known Jesus for a certain amount of time, you recognize his voice, and every once in a while, he will ask you to do something. Um, He will also ask you to stop doing certain things. And there are things that are not, these are things that are not so obviously commanded in Scripture. For example, God has asked me to stop drinking caffeine. It's not a commandment for every Christian. We're not Mormons. Um, It's not a commandment for everybody. It's for me, Carrie Smith. But I have to confess to you that I have resisted. I have leaned on my own understanding. No, God, I need caffeine. When I'm tired, I need it, and I'm tired a lot. (laughs) I haven't trusted God with this, and I've paid the price. I've been, my health has been deteriorating. I've had terrible stomach acid. I haven't been sleeping properly. I've just kind of felt bad up to the point where about a month ago, I got really sick, and I finally said, okay, God, I get it now. I should have just trusted you from the start and not leaned on my own understanding, right? I'm sorry, I will stop. But I could have avoided all of that if I had just trusted God. Do you understand? Leaning on your own understanding is trusting yourself over God. Let me say that again. Leaning on your own understanding is trusting yourself over God. It's trusting your own way or your own logic, whether that's not listening to Him when He tells you to do something or getting angry at Him because you don't understand His ways or why bad things are happening. And I know we can't always accept it right away. We can't easily accept suffering, but we can work through it and we can understand in the end that God is good. That he has his best interests in mind, which is a good thing 
because His best interests are actually our best interests. I said a little earlier that God has your best interests in mind, and that's kind of true, but really He has His best interests in mind, which is not a bad thing. He's not malicious. He doesn't have ill intentions at all. We can trust His interests. We can trust His motives. We can trust His ways because He is good. Psalm 92.15 says, The Lord is upright. He is my rock, and there's no wickedness in Him at all. 1 John 1.5 says, God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So trust in the Lord and lean not on your own understanding. Um, he is trustworthy because He is good. All right, verse 6 says, In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your path straight. So this is the fourth exhortation of Proverbs 3. In all your ways acknowledge Him. What does acknowledge mean? Acknowledge Him doesn't mean a tip of the hat. How's it going? It means an intimate knowledge of who He is. And how do we recognize who He is? Well, recognize can mean two things here. Number one, we show appreciation to him for who he is and what he is doing. And number two, we submit to him. We understand that he is God and we thank him for who he is. We submit to him in everything and we praise him for who he is. But we also, in understanding who he is, submit to him in everything, knowing that he can be trusted with our submission. When he asks me to stop drinking caffeine, I can trust that he's asking me to do that because it's the best thing for me. I can trust his commands. I can trust him. And when I trust him, it's easy to submit to him. He's not going to take advantage of our surrender. And we should submit to him not only because he can be trusted with our submission, but because he deserves it. He's the God of the universe. He's our creator, and if we call ourselves Christians, he's our Lord. And we acknowledge him as Lord when we recognize who he is, and when we have an attitude of thankfulness, and when we trust him with our lives and surrender to him. And we should be doing that both publicly and privately. So in all your ways, acknowledge him. When you're, when you're praying with a group of friends or maybe you're in your missional family, don't be afraid to speak up and say, I want to thank God because he did this, or he changed my mind about something, or he gave me the strength to do something. Often when we share prayer, we just share prayer requests of need, right, which is still important, but we need to be recognizing and acknowledging God's work in our lives as well. In all your ways, recognize who he is. In all your ways, have an attitude of thankfulness. In all your ways, trust him with your life and surrender to him. So to break this down even more, what does in all your ways mean? Well, the Hebrew word for ways literally means road or journey. So in all your paths that you take, in all your choices, basically in everything you do, Acknowledge him as Lord of your life. And then what is the result if we acknowledge him as Lord of our lives? 
He will make your path straight, right? He will remove obstacles. He will bring you to the appointed goal, one commentator says. He will, he will bring you to the appointed goal. What is the goal of our lives? Let's look at a few verses together. Romans 12, 1 and 2 says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Matthew 5.16 says, this is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Philippians 2.12 and 13 says, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. 1 Peter 1, 14 and 15, as obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance, but just as he who called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And then finally, John 14, 15 says, if you love me, keep my commands. And what are these commands? Well, Jesus simplifies it for us in Mark 12, 30 and 31. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, and your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Paul takes this a step further in 1 Corinthians 10, 31. He says, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Can you see how beautifully love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, and soul, and love your neighbor as yourself sums up the law? Have you ever thought about that? Literally, the entire law is summed up in those two statements. And you can see how glorifying God in everything we do sums up everything we're supposed to do. Because if we're glorifying God in everything, then we are offering ourselves as living sacrifices. We are being a light to those around us. We are striving to be holy. We are loving God and our neighbor with everything we've got. So the goal of our lives, if we call ourselves believers, is to glorify God. And if we're trying to do that, if we are trusting him, relying on him and not ourselves, and acknowledging him, Proverbs 3, 6 says that he will remove whatever obstacles are keeping you from glorifying him. He will make your path straight. That's a pretty encouraging verse when you think about it. Let's move on to the next two verses. I think a few weeks ago, Paul talked about parallelism and how many times in the Proverbs, the same thing is said twice, but in a different way. Um, so that's what we find here in verses 7 and 8. Be not wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. It will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. Be not wise in your own eyes. I think this is pretty obvious. Be not wise in your own eyes. Lean, do not lean on your own understanding, right? It's the same thing, said in a different way. And then our fifth exhortation, fear the Lord and avoid evil. Trusting the Lord and acknowledging who he is is fearing the Lord because it's believing who, you say, 
who he says he is, and it's living and making choices based on that belief. If you fear the Lord, you recognize who he is and then you submit to him because you see and understand who he is, right? He's the God of the universe. He's my creator. He's my king. Shunning evil or avoiding evil, fleeing from evil, is a new thing being introduced here. It's not parallelism. That's not an easy word to say, like the first half of the, the verse. But of course, if you fear the Lord, that is, if you do everything based on your acceptance of who God is, and you've decided to submit to him, you've decided to submit your life to, to the Lord and make him the Lord of your life, then won't it be natural to avoid evil? Fearing the Lord is shunning evil because evil is the opposite of who God is. And then, of course, we see again the pattern of exhortation and reward in these, in these two verses. Verse 7 being the exhortation and verse 8 being the reward. It will be healing and refreshment to your bones. It says, it will be like good medicine, healing your wounds and easing your pains, one translation says. I think we all have experienced stress and painful situations. There's an expression we use in English, something is eating at me. Basically, a problem or a situation is consuming my thoughts and my time and my energy. It's making me suffer. When we fear the Lord and shun or avoid evil, this, this verse is not telling us that we will never have physical problems, but it is telling us that we will have a clear conscience. You will not suffer from a guilty conscience if you fear the Lord and avoid evil. So again, it doesn't mean we will be free from sickness, that the fear of the Lord will, al will always make me healthy, because like I said at the beginning of this sermon, we're living in a sinful world that has no fear of the living God, and unfortunately, this world has death and disease. But this verse does mean that we don't have to suffer from something eating at us because we've done something terrible. If we truly fear the Lord and shun evil, we will walk away from doing terrible things, and this will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones because you'll be living with peace of mind, right? You can sleep easy at night. You won't have that feeling in the pit of your stomach um, because you've done something wrong. If you're yelling at your neighbors and treating people badly, then there's always going to be that fear in the back of your mind that someone's going to hit back at me or take revenge. Galatians 6, 7 says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And another Proverbs, Proverbs 22, 8 says, whoever sows injustice will reap calamity. And then lastly, Psalm 32, David writes this poem about what it's like when, he's, when someone's done something wrong, he's done something wrong, and we don't confess our sins to God. He says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord 
and you forgave the guilt of my sin. David did something wrong and then maybe tried to hide it. He didn't fear the Lord. Maybe pride or another kind of fear kept him from admitting he was wrong. And it was eating at him. It was consuming his mind and making him unwell. My bones wasted away, he says. So he confesses and God's forgiveness brings nourishment back to his bones, right? He no longer has a guilty conscience. He has surrendered to the Lord and said, I was wrong, I'm sorry, and then the weight of that guilt and sin is gone. So how can we sum this all up? Let's go backwards through these exhortations. Fear the Lord, flee from evil, recognize who he is, don't trust yourself over God, he knows better than than you what you really need. Let love and faithfulness never leave you, and don't forget. Why? Because you will have peace. God will be pleased with you. God will remove all the things that are getting in the way of life that pleases him, all those obstacles. And finally, he will take away your guilt and shame and bring nourishment to your bones. So this proverb that we've studied today is trying to show us the benefits of wisdom. And like we talked about before, many of the Proverbs try to do this. They give us a command or an exhortation, and then they describe a reward that will follow if we live wisely. Solomon is showing the hearer that living wisely means following God. And following God means living wisely. Let's pray.